It's been said that most people die at age 25 and wait to be buried at age 65. So the big question is this, how are entrepreneurs like us who believe in God and read the Bible preparing for the financial danger that the bankers and brokers do not want us to know about? How do we resist a life that's less than we are promised and hold on to our dreams so that we can live in fullness every day? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the secret. My name is Nate Scott, and welcome to the Life is Rich podcast. Hello, this is Nate Scott, author of Life is Rich, How to Create Lasting Wealth, and welcome to the Life is Rich podcast. Today is the very first episode. Can you get excited? I've titled it, A Dream Delayed Isn't a Dream Denied. I believe that everyone is waiting for something. Men and women are waiting for relationships, for children, for healing, for a home, for a job, or for a financial breakthrough. Stories of God's children waiting for these very same things are woven throughout the Bible. If you want to understand your own waiting in a way that preaches the gospel to yourself and to the watching world, then the Life is Rich podcast is for you. The book of Habakkuk could be titled Leadership with No Easy Answers. Habakkuk had to learn to follow God as the leader. He struggled with why God allowed the people of Judah to get by with their immoral and sinful ways. He cried out to God and at first got no answer. Finally, God gave him a vision about his plan to rectify the situation by raising up Babylon to plunder and capture Judah in war. I figured that that story was appropriate for me to share to, to frame this very first podcast. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you my backstory. And as I share my backstory, my purpose is to give some lessons that you can point back to God's word. You see, I grew up in a small town outside of Savannah, Georgia. My parents were divorced. My grandparents provided me a faith foundation. I had four sisters and two brothers. Now, my family was like many families where... It was a truly a village raising me. My parents were divorced. I don't remember at what age they were married. All I know is that I never felt as if there was a disconnect because my dad never lived more than 20 minutes away from me. And my parents didn't have a relationship where there was constant fighting or arguing. In fact, it was really amicable. And then for my grandparents, you know, they were the rocks. We lived on the property. They were the ones to ensure that I was in church each and every Sunday. They were the ones that ensure that I, you know, did my work. In fact, I was really blessed because I actually lived uh, and was able to get to know my great-grandmother. Truly, truly a blessing. So, so it's easy to see that my family's upbringing had a tremendous impact on my life. I was the oldest of my siblings. Like I said, four sisters, two brothers. Now these children didn't, we weren't all raised together. My mom had two sons and then my dad had four girls and a son. And so I was the oldest. And it was never a thing about 
stepbrothers or stepsisters. They were just all my siblings. And I've always taken on that responsibility to, to be a role model, to set the example. Throughout my early years, I grew up, you know, very active in sports. And in fact, on Sunday mornings, oftentimes in the country, imagine dirt roads and imagine a dirt basketball court. And I'd be out there, boom, 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 boom. And then a booming voice would come from our front porch, Speedy, come on in here and get ready for church. <laughs> that was my grandfather. And... Uh, i dust off my shoes and I'd go in, get ready, and that was just our, you know, the regular way. That's the way we did things. Well, throughout, I always had this desire to, to play college basketball. And in 10th grade is when I remember the first time in which I thought about a desire to be financially free. And I did that, I, you know, I think as I reflect the real driver for me of wanting to go to college and to earn a basketball scholarship was because I feared struggling financially. I wanted to have a better life than the life I grew up with when it came down to those, those, those extras. You know, I, I didn't want to have a situation when I became an adult where I had to wonder whether or not we could do things or have to delay things or say, we'll see. I didn't want to be in a situation where I was always having to, you know, delay getting those things that we desired. I also wanted to be an example. Going to college was going to be, not just going to college, but going to college and graduating was going to allow me to be that very first college graduate. I'd already been that first student athlete. I was doing well in school. I was playing sports. But it got to that pivotal point after playing football and basketball and running track when I got to my sophomore year where I was faced with a dilemma. My dad basically said that if I wanted a car I had to I had to work. And so what that meant was that I had to decide what I was going to give up and what I was going to focus on. And so that's when I walked away from playing football. And wouldn't you know it, the year that I walked away, the very next year, our team went to state. <laughs> and that was the year I would have been starting as well. But hey, that's what happens in life. You know, we, we've got decisions that we have to make. We've got to make sure that we choose those things that matter most putting first things first. And I got, I got that lesson very early on. And so as I moved through my, my high school years of playing sports and getting to my senior year, my senior year was me going to school throughout the day, playing a varsity basketball game at about 8 p.m., finishing up, leaving the gym at about 10 and getting to work at 11 and working through the night till 9 a.m. Saturday morning. That was my workflow. That's what my senior year looked like. So I've never been afraid of work. I've never been a stranger to work. When my basketball scholarship fell through coming out of high school, 
I realized that I didn't achieve a particular goal that I set. And that was a pivotal point in my life because I then had to decide whether or not that was truly something that I desired. And if so, I had to make a decision about what my next steps would be. That's when I learned that a dream delayed isn't a dream denied. What I decided to do is I first went over to the Air Force and I wanted to go there to see what they would offer to me so that I could continue to work on my game. And so I went there with a very clear path. I wanted to go into communications or something technical. I wanted to go overseas and experience life. And I wanted to go for the shortest amount of time that I could go in for. And so uh, I went there with those things laid out as far as my objectives, but they weren't able to give me all three. And so I went right next door to the army and I told them basically the same thing. Give me communications, give me Germany, and give me the shortest amount of time. And they did that. I got communications. I did go to Germany and I got a three year assignment. After finishing basic training, man, that was a, that was a quite an interesting time. You know, great guys and girls, and bit challenging, but something that I was really kind of enjoyed. It was an interesting time. Went on to AIT, Advanced Individual Training, which is where I learned my specialty. Um, made some great friends got into my my you said my dating relationships and uh and really remember blowing a lot of money in fact i always laugh and say you know what the thing i remember about my enlisted time was that i wasted money i remember my my money went to to hotels pizza and beer and of course when i say hotels i'm talking about women but hey that was a part of my, my path once I finished my AIT, I went on to Germany. And as soon as I got to my unit, I immediately enrolled in college courses, continued to play sports. And through that, I really was, that was my formative years. That's when I picked up the book, The Autobiography of Malcolm X. And it forever changed my life. I mean, I went through that book and then the next thing I went to find the next one and then the next one and the next one. I, and I guess I considered myself to become somewhat of an expert on Malcolm X. And it was fascinating. That's when my, my, my self-pride and confidence really was foundationally built. That's when I really started to look in the mirror and, and see myself in a whole different light. I grew up in a small town outside of Savannah, Georgia, so I grew up in the South and I was not exposed to to what I was exposed to through that book. And I didn't have that self-assurance like I did until after I read that book. And it truly did set the, pay, the path for me to, to go on and do the things I've come on to do in my life. Leadership, posture, strength, character. Things that I just really, really honed in on. And so as I continued to pursue my goal of playing college basketball, taking a different route, 
doors opened up. One day my professor, whose husband was a West Pointer, approached me after speaking to my company commander about the idea of going to West Point. Now, I'll tell you, I didn't have any intentions of going to West Point. In fact, I had a disdain for West Point officers because of what I experienced with them coming into the unit. You know, I was always a, a, a smart soldier, a hardworking soldier. I, I was capable. And oftentimes, as leaders will do, or people in leadership roles will do, managers, if you will, for those of you that are in the civilian world, would be in their position and not truly understand and respect those people that they are working with, those people that are working to make them look good. And that's what my experience was. And so I said, you know, I didn't want to go, but I didn't say it out loud. I just kept it to myself. I was my inside voice. And I didn't believe that my professor and my company commander were going to put stuff before me and give me the opportunity to follow through. In fact, again, my mindset that time was really centered on Malcolm X. And so I was like, okay, these people ain't going to do nothing. But I said, you know what, let me play the game. And they continued to put paperwork in front of me and I continued to fill it out because I was going to play the game. I was going to, if it was an opportunity, I was going to take my shot. But then what happened was Operation Desert Shield. We got the word that we were going to be deploying. Here I was, 18 years old, in Germany, away from my family, getting the word that we were going to go into combat. Imagine the impact that that had on me, that experience. I remember taking up my video camera and walking around the room and talking into the camera and telling my family th that these particular items would be needed to be dispersed, you know, like this to my brother, the TV, the, the nightstand, the clothes, the jury, you know, and I was going through and just kind of itemizing out a written list. In fact, I had to write a written list of all my items. And I was talking to the camera and telling everybody what, you know, where the items would go. And the thing I really remember was just talking to my family, expressing my love for them and, and just giving them my, my, my last wishes, preparation, just in case I didn't make it back. Well, we got deployed. We got into the, the theater of operation. And... Um, it was, you know, unlike anything. I mean, I, I really, I, it's hard to, to really explain it, to, to go back into the depths of my mind with what I saw and what I experienced from the smell of the burning fields and the, the smell of death and just, just everything that was experienced. But at 18, some of the greatest relationships during that time. And it's, uh, I'm a part of a Facebook group where members of the unit are, occasionally post pictures and stuff like that it's it's, it's uh it it, it does definitely brings back memories it was a formative time for me i remember at 19 as i walked the perimeter during desert storm because we were a shield when we got there but then we flipped over to desert storm when the war started at 19 i walked around the perimeter and i said lord if you allow me to make it back i'll never waste day of my life if you allow me to make it back, I'll never waste a day of my life. 
that was a pivotal point in my life, very defining, because that's when I made that vow that that has continued to push me forward each and every day and has brought me to, to this place where I'm at right now. Well, I did make it back. I made it back safely to Germany. And when I got back to my unit, I received a promotion to specialist, and then I also received word that I had been accepted into the United States Military Academy Prep School, and that I'd be leaving Germany to go back to the United States to start on a new path. The prep school was a 10-month program, and I said I'd go there as a way to get back into the academic flow. I'd go there to be able to start playing basketball kind of on a junior college level. Got back to the States and did well. And then it got to the point where I had to decide what I was going to do because remember, I had no intentions of going to West Point. But I had the appointment to the Academy, a congressional nomination. I had my GI Bill. And then I also had completed my, my enlisted time. So I had options. But on February 26, 1992, at 10.30 a.m., I drew out what's called a Benjamin Franklin T. And I created this so I could make the decision of whether or not I would go. I'd put on the left side my pros, and on the right side I put my cons, and I listed out the reasons of why I should go to West Point versus the reasons why I should not. And those things about why I shouldn't go were all based upon feelings, Whereas those things about why I should go were based upon logic, decision making. Again, how to think versus what to think. And so on February 26, 1992 at 10.30 a.m., I made the decision to go to West Point. And when I got to the academy, initially it was tough. I struggled academically. Math and science were, were very challenging enough and I had to continuously seek out help from the professor and lean on my peers and my peers leaned on me for my leadership and my military background and my physical fitness and that's the thing about West Point is that it's one of those environments where you can come in at the very top in various areas but at the end of the day if you didn't have people to lean on then you couldn't make it alone and so I started out playing basketball, but because of what I was, how I was struggling academically, I made the decision that I wouldn't continue. So I walked away from, from that, that goal. And the result of that was that I continued to work diligently on my academics. And eventually by my senior year, I had made the Dean's List. I also was chosen to be the regimental commander, third regimental commander, their brigade of 4,000 cadets, 1,000 per regiment, and I was selected to be one of the regimental commanders. I ended up graduating, and what a day that was. Family and friends, in fact, I flew in friends from high school. Two of my dear friends from high school, I had them fly in so that they could experience this incredible life-changing experience that I was going through. 
you know, throughout that entire process, walking across the stage, receiving my diploma, and receiving my commission, the sense of pride that I personally had, but more so the experience that I know that I gave to my family that no one could ever take away from us to be that very first college graduate. No, it wasn't me playing college basketball as I had originally hoped for. That dream that I initially started out with, I didn't achieve that. But I achieved so much more during that process. The transformation that I went through forever shaped me. You see, the greatest leadership principle to take away from Habakkuk is trust. He knew he wasn't in control any more than you and I are today. He waited on God. When God finally spoke, Habakkuk had to trust him. He certainly didn't understand. In essence, his closing psalm says, Although I don't understand what is happening and nothing is working out the way I would like it, I'll still rejoice and trust in God's wisdom. May God do the same for each of us. Thank you for listening to the Life is Rich podcast. I'm your host, Nate Scott. Remember, if I tell you, you'll forget. If I teach you, you'll remember. But if I involve you, you'll learn. One way to get involved is to rate, subscribe, and leave feedback on iTunes by answering the question, what did you like best about what you heard? One of the problems faced by Christian entrepreneurs striving for success is having an alliance with like-minded people working together for a common, definite objective. Would you like to join a community of Life is Rich soldiers? If so, please rate and subscribe to the Life is Rich podcast on iTunes and text GROWTH to 904-204-0846 for the link and this month's free book. Again, please rate and subscribe to the Life is Rich podcast and text GROWTH to 904-204-0846. Again, my name is Nate Scott. Take care and be blessed.